confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on talk radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On talk radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is getting closer and closer, ladies and gentlemen, as we count down to just 13 days until we get a new government. If yesterday's polling is to be, to be believed, it is likely to be Boris Johnson in charge, but the Labour Party are doing their level best to ruin uh, the Tory open-top bus parade with yet more proposals for spending yet more of our money up and down the country in what they are calling an investment blitz for every region in Britain. They are literally going to try and completely alter and change the way that this country is not only governed, but the way that this country is run and the way that commercial operations in this country are run. We'll be asking Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell about that this morning. Meanwhile, the Westminster bubble is obsessed with last night's climate change debate on Channel 4, which Boris Johnson refused to do after being called a known liar by the head of Channel 4 News, Dorothy Byrne. Can't really blame him, can you? Michael Gove turned up uh, but was refused entry because he wasn't the party leader. Instead, Channel 4 took the incredibly immature decision to replace the Prime Minister with an ice sculpture, which actually performed better than any of the other candidates. Does anyone outside the world of politics and the media actually care? Nah, thought you didn't. 0344 499 1000. We'll be talking to Neil Wallace this morning, former uh, newspaper editor and media consultant, about the way that this election is going. Coming up later on, we'll be discovering why going vegan is actually bad for the planet which I find absolutely hilarious. What Black Friday is worth to everyone? And because it's Friday, it's time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards, an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting. The bad news is, Con is back. He's actually come in today to do the show. So he's going to be performing uh, the Perrier Awards a little bit later on. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So the papers this morning are full of all sorts of different stories. The Hillsborough story makes the front pages of quite a few of them. Uh, the Harvey Proctor story makes the front page of the Daily Mail. He's going to receive something like £500,000 in compensation from Scotland Yard after its disastrous uh, Nick the paedophile fantasist's uh, allegations against him and many other people as well. It could be just the beginning uh, of some payouts for them. But in the Times, Tories and Labour in battle for the North. A new UK 
YouGov poll which was done yesterday, which basically showed uh, that Boris Johnson could win as much as a 68-seat majority, has frightened the hell out of Labour Party's strategists, and they've decided that they're going to now redouble their efforts to woo Brexit voters uh, because they think there is still a chance that they can keep them on side. I don't know how they're going to plan to do that. We will be talking to the uh, Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell a bit later on, but let's talk to Neil Wallace uh, this morning, media consultant, former newspaper editor in Fleet Street as well. Neil, very good morning to you. Good morning. So we are now into the what I regard as the home straight, really. 13 days to go. Um, it's hard to imagine what else can be given away by the parties, but it looks uh, very clear to me that it's going to start getting a little bit desperate out there. Oh, well, I'm confident that uh, in the next 48 hours, Jeremy Corbyn is going to announce free Cadbury's cream eggs for everybody. <laughs> and there will be um, free... Uh, bottles of milk and uh, go down your local Tesco's or Sainsbury's and I'm sure he'll have a he'll have a sort of box of uh, maybe fresh eggs waiting Well, you for never you. know. I mean, people have actually said, not entirely um, uh, tongue-in-cheek, that if he gave everyone about 25,000 quid, it might actually be cheaper than the plans that they've put <laughs> out there already. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm sadly old enough to remember when the world was nationalised. Mm when you used to have to travel on dreadful, slow, drafty, uh, constantly cancelled British Rail trains mm. um, that were always on strike. And they were always on strike because they were run by the government who didn't really know how to say boo to the goose uh, of the trade union. No. Well, also, so, every time they yeah, did say boo, them. every time they did say boo, there was another massive strike and, no, and nobody could do anything and no, nothing could ever be... I remember the rubbish piled up in Leicester Square. I remember the three-day week. I remember candles burning at night in the house and all of that. Now, they're not suggesting... I remember, Mike, I remember when uh, the in Liverpool they actually refused to bury the dead. Mm. The, strike, the striking council workers actually refused to bury the dead during the then Labour government. I mean, what an appalling situation that that came to. Exactly. Absolutely dreadful. Now, the big question for me, though, is, is that there's been a shift, it seems. As, as, as you say, we're both old enough to remember the 70s. We're also old enough to remember an awful lot of election campaigns. This one has kind of gone turbocharged crazy, hasn't it? Because everyone, including the Tories and the Lib Dems and the Greens and even Plaid Cymru, they're all offering things which have no, in no possible creation that we know could ever happen. Well, the, the, the spending uh, blitz has um, re really just taken off, hasn't it? And that's partly because, frankly, uh, because... Every election has their own version of election offerings. Mm. And the, uh, it was so evident very early on that the Labour Party would offer, you know, free turkeys for Christmas that um, I suspect everybody cancelled, uh, sorry, panicked. And at the same time, it coincided with a time when at last austerity uh, could be loosened and was probably due to be loosened. So, in, in a way, it was a sort of promises car crash, wasn't it, that was just 
and then just everybody started out bidding each other. It's a very unholy spectacle. I completely agree. It really is. And what do you make of the way that uh, the, the personalised attacks are coming in thick and fast? Because the Tories have now launched... Um, sorry, the, the Labour Party has now launched against Boris Johnson this morning. 60 questions that Boris Johnson must answer. And it's quite ridiculous in its, in its way because it's kind of um, asking the sorts of questions, basically, uh, that either one have already been answered or two, refer back to articles that he's written that they've dug up from The Spectator from many, many years ago. For example, uh, do you still think unmarried women who have children should be pushed into destitution on a Victorian scale? You know, I mean, is this really what we, the, what we can expect? I think it's what you can expect from the, the type of hard-left haters that are now running the um, the Labour Party. As they get more desperate, they thought their hard-left agenda would sweep them into power simply by the uh, cosmetics, if you like, of constantly offering bigger and bigger bland populist promises. We'll nationalise everything. We'll make everything cheaper. We'll make everything run better. We'll give you pie in the sky mm. and that Cadbury's cream egg. And as that is not working, as people, uh, as, as the polit political classes realise that actually this is largely about Brexit and about getting Brexit done and about the sort of cynicism, if you like, amongst the, or the world weariness amongst the uh, great British public against politicians, that they are getting more and more desperate, in which, as a result of which, you see the uh, ever more personalised and more... Uh, tragic um, and wrong uh, vituperation as they hurl insults uh, at everybody else. So the idea of dredging up some uh, quote from an article of 24 years ago, mm. I mean, do come on. Well, I mean, lots of politicians have said lots of things over the course of their careers, and I dare say Jeremy Corbyn uh, could well be put to the same test if that was what was going on. But I oh, still feel like on Twitter this morning. On Twitter this morning, there is footage of uh, Jeremy Corbyn complaining that the BBC uh, has a bias uh, towards the state uh, that the state of Israel ought to be allowed to exist. He complains about a BBC bias. Uh, in in favour of that, right? You know, and you can see that was probably ten years ago. He may well say, actually, I've changed my view now because people do change their views as they go through life and experience. But the, this thing of trotting out. Uh, something from 24 years ago is simply ridiculous. Well, it really is. But what do you make as well of this whole furore over the Channel 4 debate last night? I find it to be a very kind of Westminster bubble story. I don't think anyone outside of uh, the media and politics in this country actually cares a jot about the climate change debate, which was pretty poor last night anyway, and really uh, sort of immature of Channel 4 to replace Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage with two ice sculptures, which, as many people pointed out, actually did better than most of the real people who were there. But uh, are you worried about what Boris Johnson has now said, that they might well investigate the, uh, uh, the, the licence of Channel 4 as a result of some of their behaviour? I think there's two things in that, Mike. One, I'm, as you well know, I'm constantly on Twitter. I have watched TV last night. I've listened to three radio stations this morning. Mm. And do you know what the conversation of them all is about? Is about ice sculptures. Yeah. There is not a word to be read about anything that was actually said policy-wise in that programme. And uh, there you have it. You know, Channel 4 News, frankly, I'm afraid, 
are more interested in garnering, um, getting their name in the headlines than they are about the substance of it. And I think it was very, very wrong of uh, Channel 4 News to put those ice sculptures up. It was juvenile, it was silly, um, but not surprising. And what it did, it cemented this view that they have a political view, that Channel 4 is not an independent broadcaster. Having said that, and I know he has denied it this morning, uh, the idea that they get investigated for it, unless there's a proper complaint to Ofcom, which I believe uh, has been made, that the idea that the BBC investigating Channel 4's licence because uh, of a juvenile stunt, I think is ridiculous. And uh, they should uh, say instantly that other than that complaint to Ofcom, there is no such plan. Yeah, I think you're quite right. I think everybody needs to grow up a little bit. Neil, thanks very much indeed. Neil Wallace, media consultant, former newspaper editor. I think that message should go out to all politicians. If they turn up on your doorstep, tell them to stop being so juvenile. Tell them to start getting stuck into the real issues that worry people in this country. And tell them to stop promising things they can't deliver. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A bit of media news for you, by the way, unless you haven't already heard about it. The owner of the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday, uh, Associated Newspapers, has just bought uh, the I newspaper for £49.6 million. Uh, so, uh, I know James will be interested in that because he knows quite a few of the people in the uh, Associated Newspapers network. James, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Very nice to hear from you. Now, uh, this is music to my ears, this particular story, because you and I have talked about this before, (laughs) right? Because we keep being told by all these climate change fanatics that basically one of the things we should do uh, is control farming, uh, not kill as many animals to eat them, uh, and basically to go as vegan as possible because it will save the planet. Well, it turns out it's not true. No, no. I was very pleased to read that report when it came out this morning, actually, I have to say. Um, exactly. So what we need to be doing, and this is one thing that I think the vegans are, are attempting, although maybe they're slightly misguided, is we need to be moving away from this kind of monolithic production of single-use crops and yeah. single-use vegetables and single-use and, you know, and, and meat, and, and that includes meat production as well. Uh, we need to be moving away from industrial farming in general. Uh, the problem is, though, with veganism is that because it's so restrictive, because you can only eat certain products. You're basically cancelling anything, even dairy, even honey, meat products, fish products, eggs, that you're more reliant on the industrial system than you would be if you were just your average omnivore like me and you. Yeah, right. Well, because agricultural experts from Edinburgh University have basically found that that the... The, the environmental campaigners who have demonised the meat industry, basically, uh, are going are barking up the wrong tree because they're saying, more or less what you're saying, but slightly more scientifically, that we would lose the biodiversity, uh, yeah. which we really need for a healthy ecosystem, right? Absolutely right. What we need to be doing, really need to be doing, is, is, is backing our British farmers and buying more products from the, from the UK, and that, and that is going to mean not having your blueberries in February and not having your asparagus in November and not having your green beans in December. You know, we need to be eating more seasonally and thinking more about a 100-mile diet. That includes biodiversity, and you can't have biodiversity without ruminant, without ruminant animals, without sheep and cattle, whose manure go, you know, um, re-fertilizes the soil naturally yeah. and, helps, and helps turn the soil into a giant carbon tank that then pulls carbon out of the atmosphere. Because an awful lot of vegans would like us to do away with meat production altogether and do away with, with, with the sort of the grazing of cattle and the grazing of sheep. I mean, what would the world be like if that wasn't the case? 
Well, when I go to the countryside, you know, I quite like to see a nice, a nice flock of sheep on the hillside. Yeah. You know, and I quite like to see a nice flock of, of cattle when I'm driving through. And I think everybody does. And I think that I think you cannot equate industrial corn-fed cattle in the Amazon to you know a sheep farm in, in, Snow, in Snowdonia. Yeah. The, the two things are just absolutely not the same whatsoever. I mean, are you talking about as well when you talk about sort of the massively huge business of industrial farming? Are you talking about yeah. people? I'm not singling out McDonald's, but the one thing that's always puzzled a lot of people about McDonald's is wherever you go in the world, the meat tastes exactly the same. <laughs> and I don't know how they. Do, I mean, do they? I mean, I think I was told once, and I don't know whether this is true, that when they opened their first um, uh, place in in Russia, that they actually imported the beef from America in terms of the actual live cattle. I have. <laughs> I have no idea, but I can tell you that as a restaurateur and, and as a family of restaurateurs going back over 53 years, I don't know how you can sustainably sell a product for under one pound yeah. that isn't pure chemical. Right. Like, I just don't understand how that's, how that's even viable. No, I know. It's know? incredible, isn't it? Well, I suppose they would say, well, it's because of the scale in, in, in which we do it. Because, I mean, huge swathes now of the Midwest and the United States of America are owned by McDonald's because that's where they graze all their cattle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, and also it, they basically they're buying dairy. They're buying old dairy cows that are past production, you know. And then, and then effectively, you know, I mean, the process is just horrific. Yeah, oh, it absolutely is. What's really important to understand when you're buying meat, and we all, we should all be consuming, we should all be sure some element of meat in our diet so we can get our vitamin B12 and we can get our levels of iron and protein. But what's really important is that if something's if something's overly cheap and if something seems to you like a good bargain. There's probably a very good reason behind that why. Mm. Now, and somebody somewhere along that chain is going to get a raw deal, and it's most likely going to be you with the amount of chemicals that you're probably putting in your body. Yeah, right. Because the other thing which people don't mention very much when they talk about veganism and, and meat eating is, is fish. I mean, if we didn't eat fish, I mean, what would happen? Presumably the sea would be overrun with them, wouldn't it? I, I have absolutely no idea. But <laughs> healthy, healthy, happy, you know, healthy wild uh, mackerel sardines are the most plentiful fish that you'll find around the British coast. And they are also the, the most beneficial for you. I mean, you know, um, they're, it, they're rich in essential fatty acids. You know, if you look at the, both the Mediterranean and the Japanese diet, which are, which are considered to be the two best diets for, for longevity and for anti-aging, they both contain a huge amount of wild fish, wild oily fish. In there, salmon, sardines, mackerel, we should be eating it but at least two or three times a week. They're yes. plentiful, they're, you know, they're, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're sustainably harvested and incredibly good for you. Yeah, of course. And like I say, imagine if we didn't eat them, there'd be millions and millions and millions more of them than there currently are, which wouldn't be good. Well, I mean, it's like the argument, you know, about managing, managing wildlife populations in the UK. You know, we, as the apex predator, as the natural apex predator in this country, I think we do have a duty of care to make sure that, that populations of all wildlife are sustainably managed, to make sure that we do have an element, a huge amount of biodiversity in our food chain. Mm. Because otherwise, you just end up with, with these kind of, with, with um, like you said, with monodiversity. You end up with, you know, this is the problem that they tried when they had these, like, well-intended rewilding programs on the continent, where that you have an overpopulation of animals that are competing over the same food source, and then they end up all starving to death. Yeah, right. It doesn't make any sense at all. So, I mean, do you think this vegan craze is, is exactly that, that it will become something of, 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 uh, of a sort of a, I don't know, a sort of curiosity in a, in a way, and in two or three years' time, the vegan craze will have passed? I think that it's going to evolve, and my hope is that it will evolve into a common-sense base scientific-based 
long-form discussion about biodiversity and about what's the best way to secure a healthy, um, a healthy, a healthy uh, range of animals and range of wildlife in the UK. Right. And uh, and I suspect that it's a bit like a pendulum. It's swung one way, and I'm just hoping that it will just form its natural space in the middle at some point, hopefully next year. Right. And do you serve any vegan stuff in your restaurant? You probably have vegetarian stuff, but do you yeah, do any vegan I mean, stuff? actually don't have an issue with vegan food in the sense that there's plenty of food which is naturally vegan i just don't think that it should be a, it should comprise 100 percent of your diet right well I, yeah i mean it's like you wouldn't want to eat a hamburger every day of the week either would you no absolutely not and i think that and i think that we have become almost hooked on cheap industrial food and that and, it, and it's very important to realize as well that it's also it's cheap industrial grains and it's cheap industrial vegetables and soy and tofu as well as as well as just meat mm. You know, so it's not meat is not the is not the the principal reason behind all of this. No, of course. And just so for people who haven't heard you before, James, you and I had a fascinating discussion when you came into the studios here uh, when you brought me some squirrel and rabbit tacos, which were absolutely <laughs> delicious. Because one of the things that you do as well uh, is that you actually go and hunt your own food. I do. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to eat as much organic and ethically sourced meat as possible. Right. I don't want to give up meat. Uh, you know, and I want to be. I don't want to be part of an industrial food uh, system. So I do enjoy having the control of, of 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 sustainably harvesting my own my own meat for me and my guests and my, for my family. So you know that might be you know it might be you know shooting rabbits or deer hunting or pheasants or you know or partridge or whatever releasing season. Well, I haven't managed to make it over to your restaurant yet, but I promise you I will get there before Christmas because I've got to, I've got to come and taste some of your food over there because it's going to be, be uh, one of the highlights of the year. It'll be a great pleasure to have you, Mike. Great stuff. So, James, thank you very much indeed. And James Chiaverini there, director of Il Portico uh, in London, which is one of the oldest family-run restaurants in the city. Uh, and, in fact, it's over in Kensington, which is very close by uh, the headquarters of Associated Newspapers. We've just bought the Eye newspaper, by the way, as we said earlier. Got lots more to do. Want to hear from you on this one as well because vegans have got it completely wrong Eating no meat whatsoever uh, is actually not going to be good for the planet. It will not make anything more sustainable. It will not be good for the environment. It will not be good uh, for the atmosphere. It will not be good for the carbon footprint. And actually, according to the scientists up in Scotland at the University of Edinburgh, it is a very, very bad idea indeed. Thank goodness for that. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, if you've gone vegan recently, uh, you might need to go back the other way. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
all of the lanes, so that includes the hard shoulder, have been removed and all the lanes are used as a running lane. Right. So there is no hard shoulder. And traditionally on those, there are emergency refuge areas or laybys every two and a half kilometers. Right. So that's one sort. The other sort, like the M1 around Luton to Milton Keynes, it's called a dynamic hard shoulder. Oh, yeah. So when traffic is not busy, the hard shoulder is in place as a hard shoulder. Which is basically never on that stretch of road. Well, that, that, that's, <laughs> that is just about true. Mm. When it is busy, the sign says you can use the hard shoulder. The, the problem comes in, in that kind of dynamic hard shoulder is that some drivers do get confused and there have been a couple of um, fatalities actually on the M6 elevated section mm. when the hard shoulder um, was in use as a running lane but a couple of people had stopped and thought it was there as a hard shoulder. Yeah, because so, that's the problem. If you're not expecting somebody to be stationary in a lane, yeah, I mean, I once had a terrifying incident when I was driving to Brighton uh, along the A27. There's a sort of... Uh, uh, just part, just after you pass Glyndebourne, there's a sort of dual carriageway, but it's one of those where there's no uh, meridian in the middle of the road, so mm. you've kind of got four lanes. And I was driving in the fast lane going west and suddenly realised there was a car completely stopped, stationary, in that lane. Um, fortunately, I was I, there was nothing to my left and I was able to go around mm. it. But, you know, you're, you're going quite quickly, 60, 70 miles an hour, and to suddenly then see something stopped, which you're not expecting... It's very hard to avoid. Well, it, it is, but also what, what's actually happening on these so-called smart motorways is that a third of drivers aren't using the inside lane anyway right. because they are worried that a vehicle may be stationary ahead. Mm. And and the whole idea of this, to, to be totally honest, was widening motorways on the cheap. You know, it is cheaper to use the hard shoulder as a running lane rather than to build a conventional extra lane where you would use extra land. Yeah. And from the outset, we have been saying these are not safe. You would need at least twice as many laybys. And the, and the reason for that is if you're driving along, you've got smoke coming out of the engine or you have a blowout. Yeah. If you can see a layby the vast majority of people will be able to get there. Mm. But at every mile and a half or two and a half kilometres, there, there's stretches where you can't see it. Right. Pe people get understandably really worried, the smoke coming out of the engine, what do I do? They try and pull over as much as they can, mm. but as there's no hard shoulder, they are then in a live lane. Now, what's meant to happen is Highways England control centres are meant to spot that vehicle but we unearthed a report that shows it takes on average 17 minutes one seven to spot a vehicle then they put up a red x over the the lane and then you sit there mm. praying that mm. other drivers will abide by that red x you put your hazard lights on you keep your seatbelt on um, you know, unless, of course, there is a bit of space to the left that you can get out of the passenger side. But often that isn't the case. So, you know, we, we've been demanding at the very minimum double the number of, of laybys. So it gives people a chance. 
And, and are the, these likely to be look? Do they look like you know those ones you see the police sitting on? They sort of go up a bit and then around. Yeah, they're not that elevated, Mike. They, they, some of them they've actually, which which is a good idea. It makes makes them a bit more um, visual. The the surface area is painted in orange, right. so it it makes them stand out. Okay. Uh, and there's an SOS phone there right and they have increased the signage of some of them which, which is a good thing but you know we we've argued from the outset and what what happened the original one in 2006 on the m42 actually worked but there you had laybys every 500 meters and what they did they then with no consultation whatsoever moved the goalposts and it went from every 500 meters to every two and a half kilometers mm. And that's why we've been campaigning vigorously um, for the last six years or so, saying the, the, these aren't safe. You know, last year alone, there were, there were nine deaths on, on these so-called smart motorways. And in two of the cases, the coroners actually pointed out these were avoidable deaths. You know, yes. if, if we'd had a better design, if the drivers had somewhere to get off the motorway, they would have been safe. So, no, it's, it's, it's very worrying. The... the Transport Secretary, just before the election, did say he would instigate a quick inquiry into it, and then the election was called. So, you know, we're, we're hoping that whoever is the next Transport Secretary, the first thing they would do is look at that investigation and make changes to this mm. to this system, because people are dying. I mean, I, I was in touch on, only this morning, Mike, with... with um, parents of, of a 23 year old who actually died on the m1 section back in 2015 on on valentine's day along right. along with two two other lads and it you know it's such a waste of life when you look at it that way and we should be building the safest roads we possibly can afford not cutting corners on these so-called smart motorways no it really is um, a, an issue of, of as you say just people not understanding how it works because it's quite a confusing kind of policy isn't it because also the other thing that i would imagine people are confused about is how would you know um if you're just happen to be driving on that stretch of motorway whether it's busy enough for it to be a smart motorway suddenly yeah. well th no, but that's exactly right because that 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 section on the m1 going up towards milton Keynes. I used to go up there every week on a Friday night because my, my son did training with MK Dons. Right, okay. And on a Friday night, it was always busy and I'd always use the inside lane because you could. I then went up on a Saturday and out of habit, I started going over towards the inside lane, but, but it wasn't busy and it was only then that I did see that there was a red X. So, you know, even me, president of the AA, I nearly got caught out with a thing. And, you know, and I know exactly how they work. So if it confuses me, it is certainly confusing other people. And as I say, there have been deaths as a result of it, which coroners have said are avoidable deaths. So we really must get this changed as a priority for the new transport secretary absolutely right and it's another one of those things that the election has kind of thrown a spanner in the works of i suppose oh, so maybe, it has. Um, it, yeah it was really annoying and of course none of them have got anything about this in in their manifesto you know we've been through the manifestos which, you know which which is a great shame um but we were at last beginning to get some action on this and as you say the election was then called and you know a halt was brought to it so you know ho hopefully as soon as things have settled down we'll, we'll get the new Transport Secretary, 
to to see sense on this and make some urgent changes. Yeah, another disturbing story that's along similar um, sort of lines. More than 1,200 children a year are hit by vehicles in 20-mile-an-hour zones. Mm. I'm not quite sure what that points to, really. Does that mean... I mean, some people have said in the past, I don't know whether you and I have discussed Mm. it, uh, Edmund, that, that when you're driving that slowly, you tend to be less careful. Yeah, I mean, that that can be a case. I mean, what, what we tend to say about these zones is that they're more effective if they're actually targeted. So, you know, if it clearly says there is a school, there's a recreation ground, it's a cul-de-sac, there are children playing. And if they're targeted like that with signs saying so, so when school's going in and out in America all the time, mm. they have the orange flashing lights and yeah. everyone abides by it because they understand it. Whereas, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, if it says 20, no one's going to drive at 20. No, so, right. so targeted ones with signs and, you know, even some of those smiley face signs, the research have shown those can be effective because they're communicating with the driver. They're getting the driver to think, why do I have to slow down? Well, this is why I have to slow down. There's a school here. Whereas the, the blanket zones don't, don't work as well. So, you know, the message to all drivers... Obviously, when you're in urban areas, when you're in residential areas, when you're near schools, even if you're driving driving slowly, you must concentrate on that that road ahead. I mean, one thing I do, Mike, a little tip that I Mm. follow myself, after every long journey, when you get closer to home, that's when you tend to turn off. You you think about what am I having for supper? What am I doing at the weekend? So like, the last 10 minutes before I get home, I kind of say to myself, look, Edmund, you've had a safe journey. Be really, really careful. You know, slow down, watch out. Is there someone stepping out behind that car? Is there a cycle coming across here? And it just helps you to concentrate on those roads that you know well and sometimes go into autopilot. But when you're in autopilot that's when the unexpected can happen. Yeah, so you can, you're absolutely right. You know, I've got, I've, where I live, um, when, when I come back up to London at the end of the weekend, there's a speed camera, which is, we th- I think, I don't actually know for sure, has been adjusted. It used to be a 30. It's now a 20. Um, and there are times when I drive past that, mm. and it's about literally half a mile from my house, and I suddenly I've forgotten to, to go down mm. to 20. You know, mm. I may be doing 24 or 25 or something like mm. that, but I've never actually got a mm. ticket. But you're absolutely right. My, you, your brain just isn't on mm. by that stage. You know, I've driven for about an hour and I've kind yeah. of got home and I'm, I'm really not thinking sometimes. Yeah, so that extra concentration can, can really help you to be a safe driver because... You know, even if it's not your fault, you, you don't want to hit anyone because you have to live with that with the, for the rest of your life. So even if it isn't your fault and someone had just rushed out in front of you, you still have to live with the consequences. And by being more alert, you, you can actually avoid a lot of collisions like that. Yeah, absolutely right, Edmund. Thank you very much indeed. Edmund King uh, talking to us there about smart motorways. I mean, what a ridiculous idea that you have a motorway which sometimes uses the uh, hard shoulder and sometimes doesn't. I mean, how are you supposed to know? If you've got stories about that, I'd like to hear them, please. 0344 499 1000 is the number because it's the, if the traffic uh, sort of managers are the ones who designate whether it's busy enough, presumably they have to put some kind of sign up to say that the hard shoulder uh, is now part of the smart motorway. But I don't know how that works exactly. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll take your calls next. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Oh, 
I have to say, uh, it was very pleasant this morning uh, meeting Miami Steve Van Zant, uh, who is, of course, Bruce Springsteen's guitarist, as well as being in The Sopranos. Uh, somebody I've seen in concert a couple of times, and a uh, very pleasant bloke as well, uh, who came in to see Julie Hartley Brewer this morning. So uh, uh, that was all done. Let's go back to the phones, though. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, let's talk to Mary, who's in Hemel Hempstead. Hello, Mary. Hello, Mike. How are you? Okay, thank you. Two things. One about this smart smart motorway. Yes. Well, aren't they a legacy of failing grayling? I mean, everything. Do you know what? You've you've just reminded me about him. I'd forgotten all about Mr. Grayling. I didn't even know what he's up to now. No, I know, but it was him who brought these these ideas. One of his another crazy ideas. Yeah. Like they're getting the ships that were to do ferrying, and they didn't have any boats and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other thing was N Power. My neighbour was with N Power. Oh yes. Had the, they were absolutely the service was awful. They was finished it? leaving. I was with Eon. I don't know what went wrong with Eon. I was with them for about a couple of years, and they seemed to go chaotic, poor service, everything. Mm, right. I left Eon. Now I found out N Power and Eon are one and the same. Apparently so. Well, maybe that's one of the reasons they're having problems that people have just moved away from them because they're not very good at what they do. Exactly. That's what I think. Mm. I can't believe that there were, there were two separate incidents and uh, we've both left them now. And uh, so I'm sure other people have. A bit like BT claimed to be so wonderful, but their service is appalling. Yeah, well, that's the trouble, isn't it? And if, if you're in the service industry, I can't understand in this, in this day and age why people can't do that properly. Mary, thanks very much indeed. Let's talk to Sully, uh, who's in Manchester, wants to talk about smart motorways. Hi, Sully. Hi, Mike. How uh, are you doing? Yeah, very well, sir. You're a courier, right? Yeah, I'm on the motorways all day, every day, all week, and similar thing like what's happened to you, not a vehicle, but yeah. you see an obstruction in the middle of the lane, you have to swerve quick to avoid it. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting a lot of tweets from people saying crazy stuff, like some guy tweeted me to say that he, there was a guy filling his car uh, from, a, from, you know, one of those um, uh, plastic cans on the fast lane of the M25 one day well, at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, he should be done for that because you're not allowed to run out of fuel on the motorway. No, exactly. But, Exactly. Well, what the point I'm trying to make is what I do, because I'm on the motorway all the time, I avoided certain objects, and mm. I'm thinking, someone's going to hit that. Right. So I stop at an SOS phone, and I call them, and I let them know, you know, there's something in the middle of the lane, yeah. you need to get someone to clear it. Right. I've actually used the SOS phones, and I've asked them, do you have a number that I can just ring from my hands-free so that I don't have to stop at an SOS yeah. phone? And they don't even have a number. Now, these smart motorways, if there's a vehicle stopped on the inside lane, which should be a hard shoulder, yeah. and it's being used, and someone like me sees it, why don't they advertise the number on the matrixes so people can right. report it, and then it won't take 17 minutes for them to spot it? No, of course. Avoid. And how does it work, Sully, when, when you're on one of these motorways that becomes a smart motorway? How do you know that it's then a smart motorway? Uh, because the, uh, all, all the matrix all light up to let you know. Oh, OK. And if it, if, if it is turning back into a hard shoulder... They've started advertising it, don't use the red X. Oh, right, so they, put the, so they put the red X over it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, pe people aren't going to get used to it. They're going to have to learn. It's just a learning curve. Yeah. They've already done it now, so I think it's probably gone too far to go back on it. But, but you see, I would be worried because I would be thinking to myself, you know, well, I don't know if the hard shoulder's open or not, and because uh, I'm not, sh I may not believe the signs because I think people have that problem as well. You look at the sign and you think, well, the sign could be wrong because, I mean, how many times do you see something on one of those signs and it turns out not to be the case? Well, it's not just that. It's how many other things you're concentrating on. You might be in an average speed zone. Yeah. You're staring at your, your speedo. You're looking at all the trucks around you. 
you're going into roadworks and you don't know which lanes. You can see the old markings and then you don't know if you're in the hard shoulder. So it is very confusing. Yeah, it really is. Well, I, I take my hat off to you, Sully. It can't be an easy job to do. Uh, Sully talks about uh, being on uh, motorways all day, pretty much, and it really must be quite difficult. Uh, Graham says this, race smart motorways. I can confirm highways do not always monitor the cameras. Four times in the last year, I've called 999 hands-free because a car was stopped in a live lane. They clearly hadn't seen them and the lane was still open. Well, that is the problem, you see. Andrew was the guy that sent me the thing about the bloke refuelling from a plastic can on the fast lane of the M25. Uh, and Nick says, as far as 20-mile-an-hour zones are concerned, the whole of Richmond Borough is being made into 20-mile-an-hour, despite the consultation being against it. Well, that's great, isn't it? So they have a consultation. The consultation says one thing. They do the complete opposite. Marvellous. 0344 499 1000. Natasha uh, is in Norwich, wants to talk about motorways. Hello, Natasha. Yeah, hi, Mike. Hi. Yeah, hi. Um, yeah just a quick one. The, we used to live in Germany, and yeah. I used to have to drive um, back a lot from Germany to UK. And driving through Holland, we used to use these smart um, motorways. Yes. And so the the live lane would, they'd have the stanchions across the road, you know, at regular intervals with a green um, arrow on it, right. as far as I can remember. So you knew that, you know, that lane was fine. And then when it wasn't, they'd put the red cross up. Right. But when we and when we came back to this country, um, they were making the M3 into a smart motorway, and I always used to think, well, how does it work over here? Because I use it quite a lot, and I've never seen the thing with a green arrow on it saying you can use mm. it. It doesn't appear to be sort of fine. No, well, this is my thing. I mean, I don't use motorways that much in this country, but I'm on the M25 quite a lot, and I, I'm not ever sure if I can trust the signs. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know whose fault that is, but I'm just one of those people who's sceptical of it, and I would never drive. I just would feel uncomfortable driving on a hard shoulder in case somebody was in it. Stop. Well, I you think know? again, you see, we're we're not used to it. We always seem to play and catch catch up with sort of anything we ever do in this country. Yeah. I think you know. They're obviously used to it in Europe, and it, it was no problem. And I never felt unsafe using it because, no. you know, everyone seems to know how to use it. But I have to say, because I'm, um, again, having to come up from Salisbury to Norwich a lot at the moment and using the lovely M25, um, that M3 I feel really uncomfortable on, yes. and I would not go into the inside lane. Well, if you I think that's bad, because... don't go on the A303 because that's even worse. Um, I, I do have to go on the A303 to do get you? down to Salisbury. <laughs> Oh, well, that, well, that's oh, one that's of the worst cool. roads. That's one of the worst roads in Christendom, I think that one. But I don't know what it is. But whenever but I drive in, yeah, whenever I drive in Europe, the roads just seem so much better in terms of just the motorways. You know, in Spain they're better, in France they're better, in Belgium they're better, Germany as well. I mean, I, they just seem to be better at it. Well, I think, and also you see in Germany, of course, you've got um, even though you've got a higher speed limit, yeah. People understand how to drive like that, mm. whereas you know the argument here of not raising it. But you know, well, oh, touch wood. I mean, we were always fine in Germany, and we used to drive quite fast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there we go. Anyway, so smart right. motorways. Mm, I think a lot of work to go. But anyway, yes. I think they need to make the drivers a bit smarter as well. Natasha, thank you very much indeed. Paul says I'm a retired traffic cop, and if I see someone broken down in a live lane, I always call nine nine nine. I did it last week on the M62, and it took over one minute for the police to answer. The police were not aware. It's incredibly dangerous, and calling nine 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 is the best advice. Well, uh, I'm happy for you to tell people that, uh, but I'm not sure. Uh, here's one from Mutley. He says we've already had a couple of bad accidents on Q Road. 
Road. That happens to be down in West London near Richmond. I've been badly overtaken several times while attempting to observe the new limit. Only a matter of time before there is a fatality, I'm afraid. Well, the problem is, I mean, the same in, in parts of London uh, where I drive around. In Southwark, they've made it basically a 20-mile-per-hour zone for practically everybody in practically every street uh, of the borough. And there are often times when you're driving at 20 and you know that there's a speed camera coming up and some idiot is right behind you, literally almost within touching distance, and sometimes they will rev up and go around you, doing about 35. So I'm not sure that the 20-mile-an-hour zone figure uh, is always the best way to go. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.33, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. With some new music for your return. Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, I'm surprised you recognise it, actually. You haven't done it for so long. I did it two weeks ago, the Perrier's. Yeah. It's a long time in your life, young life. Is it? Con is back, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, he's remembered to write a script for the Perrier Awards today. Of course. So, uh, always, I've never forgotten to write Have the you script. not? Okay. No, never. I thought you nearly did that today. No, I always just leave it till when it's needed. Okay. Well, let's hear you stumbling over it then. Yes, welcome to the <laughs> Perry Awards. This is where we go back over the past week of the so-called so Independent cool. Republic of Mike Graham Quite and right. choose our favourite moments. Mm. And it's a special Black Friday oh, Perry great. Awards in that we're saying it's a better offer, but in reality, it's the exact same product it's just as the last same. week. Good. Yes. Let's find well, out. Well, let's hope it's as good as that. Yeah, well, hopefully. Uh, let's find out who has won. Uh, as always, uh, you're first up, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, pronunciation of the week. Marvellous. All I want oh. is for you guys to keep calling me up. You may get a Perrier for this. Perrier. A Perrier, yeah. You, you've got it wrong there. It's the I Perrier. Have. It it's is. Named it is. after Katie Perry, of course, who yes. was the inaugural host. Indeed she was. Um, uh, the reason I said that, of course, is because they have a Perrier award, or they used to. Yeah, in, uh, the Edinburgh. comedy yeah. award. Yes, of course. Yes. Um, speaking of comedy, mm. comedian and vegan Carl Donnelly joined us on the phone earlier in the week to discuss how vegan men make better, sweeter love. Uh, of course, we learnt today that's at the cost of the environment, though. So <laughs> of course thanks, it is. Thanks very much, everyone. Yes. Uh, anyway, Mike, uh, despite Carl being meat-free, you win Vegan of the Week. Thank you. When I first went vegan, it was almost impossible. Like, on the road, I used to sometimes I had dinners that were like, as if I was a five-year-old, but I had a bag of crisps. Right. You know, an like egg and crest sandwich or something. <laughs> Not the most no. vegan option. Well, I'd forgotten that you can't eat eggs if you're a vegan. <laughs> it could be a fake uh, egg, couldn't it? Oh, how do, do they fake eggs? I'm sure they, well, they fake everything else, yeah, including their sex lives, I presume. <laughs> yeah. Well, during that conversation, bear in mind the subject matter yeah. of making sweet, beautiful love. You win the privacy invasion of the week. Right. That night, you know, sort of in the bedroom, of course. things happen, and literally post coitus, I checked my heart rate on my Fitbit. And started, uh... <laughs> How did that go down? Disgusting. Don't. Well, it's pretty don't awful, cry, though, isn't Mike. It? It, that's pretty awful. That whole idea, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It's funny though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, despite it being Black Friday, it was Monday which saw Mike you give the offer of the week, mm. and there does not seem to be any deterrent whatsoever. No, there doesn't. I don't know what to do about it, Mike, but I don't think offering people uh, the death penalty is going to make any difference, honestly. 
They'll probably decline it, I'd imagine. Maybe, it depends though. Yeah, I can imagine wouldn't. a few situations where you might go, actually, yeah, you know. <laughs> you get invited out to something you don't want to go to, for example. <laughs> um, Donna Harvey now. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, she's always good for a Perry Award or two. Uh, this week, she invented the career of the week. Right. It, it doesn't take a, a rocket surgeon uh, to understand that this... That was one that was picked up by a lot of people, actually. Oh, rocket really? Surgeon. Rocket surgeon. Somebody said to me, what does a rocket surgeon do? And I went, rocket surgery. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Um, Dr. Rakib Ehsan was on the show as well. Who? Dr. Rakib Ehsan. Okay. Um, he wins uh, the always present wrong namer of the week. Is it something which is being um, over-egged? What, what would you say about that? Firstly, Mark, I don't like using the term. Mark, I think we got a Mark in Did there. No, I didn't hear Mark. Should we listen to it Let's again? Let's have another or? go. Is it something which is being um, over-egged? What, what would you say about that? Firstly, Mark, I don't like using the term. No, it's the way he says Mike. Well, behind the glass there, suggesting no. it's uh, Mark, I'm No, afraid. it's definitely not. No, well, it's just his accent. Possibly. Where's I'm more concerned about the fact that... What do you mean, where's he from? He's from the Henry Jackson Society. Yeah, I mean, regionally. I don't know. I haven't asked him. OK. You're the producer. Why don't you ask him? Because I don't... Well, I, don't, I think I'll, I'll get him I'll, to I'll sue you time. now. Um, Why you no, I'm, <laughs> I'm more concerned about my second use of egg. What? What? Huh? Should we want to play it again for him? Is it something which is being um, over-egged? What, what would you say about that? Firstly, Mark, I don't like using the term. It's just using eggs a lot. This yeah, morning. yeah, well, it's good for the environment we had this morning, somehow. Yes. Uh, back to you, Mike. Thank you. Uh, you win the Perrier for Beatboxer of the Week. What do you think is going to happen over the next two weeks? Because as the polling um, comes... <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I don't know, you just started beatboxing. Ah, no idea what happened there. Uh, very good. Mm. Um, and you're also the proud recipient of the shopping list of the week. When you go to other parts of the world, fish soup, tofu, rice, stir-fried pork with vegetables, baked chicken with stuffed grape. I'm getting a bit hungry actually listening to all this. <laughs> Sounds good though, doesn't it? Yeah. I might make some fish soup this weekend. Oh, nice. Yeah, you can bring some in on no, Monday. I'm no, not bringing uh, food in. Why no. not? I don't why bring food into bring work. Bring it in. If it, share it. Share no. it around. Why not? Because I don't bring food into work. I never very, have. Very I'm never going to do it now. There's a canteen very, over there. Very selfish. Yeah, right. Uh, Mark in Fife now, caller. Sure, it's Mark. Um, or, or was Mike. he? Uh, well, that's the thing. I don't think it is either. I think it could have been a special Chris Kringle who gave us a call. He wins <laughs> the most generous caller of the week. I'm not a rich man. I deliver parcels for a living. That's all I do once a year. Right. You know I mean? Once a year <laughs> once a delivers year. parcels. Like Santa. Yeah. Well, maybe well. it just for, works for a very uh, slow courier company. <laughs> <laughs> We could name them, but we won't. We won't. No, we won't uh, do that. Um, we've had a couple issues this week with phone signal problems. Oh, yeah. uh, someone who you'd think would be better at using a phone would be the tech expert from the Metro, Jasper Hanmel. This is surely the end of uh, days, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think of the bad characters of children's books, Captain Hook, Cruella de Vil. Yeah. And then you tell them a story about it. You just make it up as you go along. Great idea. We tend to read books, actually. What is that all about? It's so bizarre. It's like he's in a different... or the yeah. other side of the room, well, and I then he keeps running. he was moving his phone around, you know? Possibly, yeah. Some people don't like that. No. Uh, and also, uh, Tory frontbencher uh, was on the show. I, can't, I didn't write his name down. Uh, Mark... He's the digital minister. Digital minister. Is everyone called right. Mark today? Matt, Matt Warman. Matt. 
Yeah, anyway, let's not. Uh, he was on uh, to talk about the new Tory policy of improving the phone signal in the country. And then the inevitable happened. He wins coincidence of the week. Now, you're unveiling today um, a plan to make it much more possible for people who live in very rural parts of the country to get a better mobile signal. As someone who used to be a frequent visitor to Dorset, I can, uh, I can certainly concur that it's very <laughs> difficult to get uh, any kind of phone signal. How are you going to do that? How are you going to fix that? <laughs> now, you see, that's the kind of thing that happens in an election campaign, is campaigning about mobile phone signals, and you lose your own mobile phone signal. We'll try and get that back. It was like an episode of The Thick of It. Though. Oh, so Incredible. funny. Um, um, finally, uh, he also wins the Elephant Tamer of the Week. Uh, and that means fewer masks um, and more likely to be in the right place. Um, and, of course, we will make sure... What on earth was that sound? It's an elephant. Definitely an elephant. Yeah. That's it for the Perry Awards. Marvellous. There will be more. Thank you. Next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.